Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show. Shahan, we're playing off the news a little bit today. Sometimes we don't play off the news. We do our own thing. We're going to push back a little bit at some of the things we had planned. You'll still get that second show this week on the Survivor Show. But we do want to talk about game days in college football, Shahan, because it's the best part of college football. And this long slog of an offseason, it's like, oh, you get caught up. And we try not to get caught up too much on this show with the administrative part of college football. Because I know people love paperwork and they love bureaucracy, but that's not what we do here. We do football. We do games. So we want to talk about Saturdays in the fall. And whether they can be improved. And the thing that is out there right now is Ross Dellinger of SI.com had a story out Monday. And this is something that's been on the table. People have been talking about whether games are too long and what could be done to shorten them. We have some stats, but let me ask you, as someone who watches games, goes to games, likes games, are college football games too long in your mind? I think they are. I I think that we sometimes get a little bit bogged down in the idea of a single individual game. I think it's more about the product as a whole, right? I I think if an individual game goes 10 minutes longer than you expect, it's not the end of the world, but you feel it. You you feel it slowing down. I I actually, one thing that kills me, because I don't watch a ton of NFL, relatively speaking, because of how much college I watch. And when I watched the Super Bowl, uh, because funnily enough, I was on a plane at the time and so watched it on the flight on the way back, it blew my mind how fast it felt like it went. Now, obviously, I've watched other NFL games too, but you just felt the sport moving in a different way than I think you do in college, where there's so many breaks, there's so many stoppages, the clock stops so often. You know, I think in college too, one of the big things is obviously you have these passing offenses, but it means that the game slows down to such an extent that you really do feel it. And talking to people who maybe aren't uh, diehard football fans or diehard college football fans, the most common thing that I get cited to me about why people don't enjoy football is because of how little action there is relative to the amount of time that you have to spend watching it. And so I do think that, look, I'm not I'm not asking games to be a cool two and a half hours <laughs> by any means, but I do think that you will feel the difference in cutting 15 to 20 minutes off of a game because of stoppages. And and to get into it, look, we're, we're not going to lose commercial breaks. That, that's just not going to happen for a million reasons. If you're going to brag about how much money your conference brings in, guess what? This is what it comes with. You're going to get commercial breaks. But, uh, you know, certainly those play a part as well. But, uh, but I would also argue that the NFL has as many, if not more, commercial breaks, and it still feels like a more concise product. So I do think that we need to be aiming for the 315 mark i'd say 315 to 320 mark and we're right now more in like the 335 mark so from ross dellinger's story 321 is what he has as the average length of play and this is stats the ncaa provides 321 for college football games in this most recent season nfl around 310 so the thing that i don't like about this and so there goes my idea of take all games off tv <laughs> also at the bottom of ross's story he has a line that non-televised games which i didn't even know there were college football games that weren't televised anymore i didn't even know that existed there's for real there are games that are not on tv in major college football i'm not even joking 
He says they're only two minutes shorter than the games that are on TV, which sounds like a thing that a TV executive would tell people. (laughs) I don't even know if I believe that. I'm not saying that anyone's lying. I'm just saying, like, come on. So the thing that I don't like about all this stuff, Shahan, and looking back at – I did some research. Length of game, again, if it's around 321 – actually seems a little – I don't know. 2013, what I found, 317. 2014, 323, 322, 324, 319, 318. It's been creeping up a little bit. I did go back. I tried to find some foundational things to reference. Uh, I found Woody Hayes' last Ohio State-Michigan game. And I just went through Ohio State stuff because you guys know I cover Ohio State. And so that's a reference point for me. I almost can't believe they have all these old box scores on there. It's great on their, <laughs> on the Ohio State website. I know a lot of schools have it too. 1978, Ohio State-Michigan. Woody Hayes' last Ohio State-Michigan 244. <laughs> Two hours, 44 minutes. I'm not sure I even believe it myself. The Ohio State-Michigan game this year, 336. Okay, so that's the 2006-1-2 Ohio State-Michigan game, 328. Right? So it's it's not – it's it hasn't been an explosion now. It's just that we've changed, right? We're still, I think, somewhat in the same range of what we used to be. I understand – shortening the length of games, Shahan, but I don't know that I want fewer plays. And all these proposals that we're going to talk about, most of them are about taking the number of plays down. And like you said, we're not going to shorten the length of commercial breaks necessarily. There is something we can talk about that that people are discussing. But would you want fewer plays? If that's how we do this, the number one thing is you have fewer plays, you have shorter games. Is that okay with you? The average college football game having 7 to 10 to 12 to 16 fewer plays. So I think that what I would say is that I would want the period in between plays to, to be different. And I think that when the clock doesn't stop, it creates more urgency in between plays because the clock is running. So do I want there to be many more, many fewer plays? Not, not necessarily, but I think that the process of those plays changes when you don't have an auto stoppage every time that there's a first down, for example. Now, you know, look, the, the four, the four things that were brought up, uh, and, and you might have them there by Ross Dellinger. So one of them makes sense to me. But, but let's not lump them all together. Let's, let's go through, let's go through one by one. So start with, start with the first thing you want to talk about. Yeah, I, I think the one that makes the most sense to me is uh, getting rid of the sto- uh, the clock stoppage on first down uh, until the last two minutes of the game. Then then it would reinstitute so that you'd be able to still kind of move down the field. I think that makes sense. Uh, it's obviously a difference between college and, and the NFL. But I do feel like, you know, when you have a 12-yard passing play that ends in the middle of the field and they just stop the clock and there's like 15 full seconds between that and then the clock restarting again, it feels unnecessary. You know, I do think that the game could be benefited from just moving along through that. What do you think? So I guess I understand that. And and again, this is the big one that seems to have potentially the biggest impact and it would model the NFL. So this is what the NFL does, and, and in the SI.com story, it says it might cut out about seven plays per game. But the idea of, I do think, and, and there would be a time at the end of a half, end of a game, where then it would stop, so that if you're trying to come back, and it's like, hey, you gained a first down, great job, here's a bonus that we're going to stop the clock and wait to reset it and that kind of thing. I still like that. Just 
in the midst of a of normal gameplay, when you get a first down with eight minutes left in the first quarter, not having the clock stop, I guess that makes sense to me. But you're still going to the, – the bottom line is you're going to lose plays. Now, do you – but do you believe that this would encourage offenses to just get their stuff together and get to the line faster and not mosey around as much after a first down and that maybe in the end we wouldn't lose that many plays? We just would move with more alacrity the entire game. I think so because I think that if you are a college offense – and the clock is fully stopped and you have 40 seconds before you have to run your next play, why would you hurry at all, right? Why would you be deliberate? Unless you're trying to uh, specifically add pace and tempo to your offense, I think that uh, that generally this is the time when you see people kind of lollygagging down the field and looking to the sidelines and and everybody's just kind of like, all right, we're, you know, we're going to sit here and wait for a second until the next play. I, I do think that that absolutely is something that happens. And, uh, and I do think that while there will be fewer plays, I, I think it probably will end up being more like three or four plays than seven, which is relatively negligible in my mind. And I think that, I think that it does put a premium on continuing the momentum of the game, continuing the momentum of plays, uh, and, and keeping it kind of as one cohesive thing as opposed to, all right, they got a first down. Now they're, Starting all over, everybody got to reset your emotions. You got to reset everything else. You have so much time in between plays. Okay, and I bet you there are people listening to this, Shahan, who are like, what? Stop the what? When? I, I don't even know that it's something that people would would really notice. And I guess there are a lot of plays in games. And so if this would be something that the average fan would not really notice – and it might just get everybody moving. I guess in the end, this sounds like something that we could very much envision being adopted and in the end having very little effect on the gameplay other than perhaps chopping five or six minutes off of the length of games, which is the goal, right? So we're all good with this then? We're good. You like this? We're all good? Yeah, I, I like it. Okay. So one of the other things is no more two timeouts in a row. So that means like you can't ice the kicker the same way. You can't call a timeout and then also call a timeout. I guess you can't do that in the NFL. Are we good with that? No more double icing? Yeah, that's such a – I've been at games where this happens in, in non-icing situations even, and everybody's just looking around like, what is going on? Like, why are we not playing the football game? <laughs> and so, yeah, it, to me, there's like – there's basically no scenario where I think that it's a necessary thing to do. Okay, so we'll get rid of that. So that's one of the proposals. Okay, no more double icing. And then there's a rule in the books now where you can't end a quarter with a penalty. So you run an untimed down. And they're saying get rid of that at the end of the first and third quarter. It still would be true at the end of the half and the end of the game. You can't end on a defensive penalty. But if it happened at the end of the first and third quarter, forget it with the untimed down. You just would pick up at the start of second or fourth quarter. We Are we good with that? I just love the idea of having this discussion like it's like ever mattered like who cares <laughs> i don't know if it'll, if it'll help go for it but i can't imagine having a discussion about this you know sure fine like if we just said you know what let's devote an entire podcast to each of the four <laughs> rules proposals and we were having the untimed downs truthers on here it'd be like oh untimed downs are what 
football is all about the penalty. Yeah, so okay. but, but but very very important to mention not just untimed downs, untimed downs at the end of the third quarter. Like we'd still have untimed downs. Just we, so yeah, sure, go right ahead. I don't care. I don't think it would affect like three college football plays the entire year. Okay, so those are the three that I think are the easiest to discuss. We're kind of all in on them, and I don't know that you, the college football fan, would notice that much. Quick break. When we come back, we'll deal with the proposal that would have the greatest effect, and we have to decide whether we want this in college football or not. We'll do it next on the College Football Survivor Show. Previously on the College Football Survivor Show. I think I am going to go with a guard. And I think I'm going to go with Steve Avila from TCU. Uh, that was the guy. I should have done it. <laughs> I would have taken him next. I should have taken him now. Instead of all with Timmy. That's my stick it to Shahan pick to take the TCU guy who legitimately, legitimately might be the best guard in the history of the nine-year college football playoff for real. No, he was a game changer. Catch the latest episode of the College Football Survivor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Shahan, the last one that is up for consideration here is starting the clock after incompletions. And what do you think of that generally? I do think in the end, right, one of the differences between the NFL and college is the NFL's better at throwing the ball <laughs> than college is. So there are more incomplete passes in college football. But this really this really would be more of a fundamental change to the game. It could really cut some time off. But is it too big of a change? Well, first of all, uh, you've got a Chicago Bears fan and somebody's covered the Cleveland Browns. So I, I take issue with the idea that NFL teams are at all good at throwing the ball to receivers. But uh, the other part of this, yeah, this was definitely the most controversial one. This is the one that people have uh, been the most vocal about. I don't think I like it. I don't think I hate it as much as other people do, but I don't think I like it because, you know, I do think that there is a deal right now where if you want to run clock, for example, then you have to be able to be balanced and run the ball or you have to throw completable passes so that the clock keeps running. I think that the interesting thing about a scenario like this is it allows you to basically run clock while passing the ball. And like you said, that's a that's a fundamental change to to end of game scripts if you are a team that's in the lead. Right. Because we do see at the end of games when teams can can lean on the run game and burn down the clock. That's that's kind of how we value the running game. So if this rule were to pass, which it seems like it probably wouldn't. But if it were to pass, then I think that it would be in some ways the sport surrendering to to passing <laughs> just as a concept. Right. That we would be saying this is a passing game. The rules should be built around the idea that most teams are going to try to pass most of the time as opposed to one that kind of has this balance to it where you know because the way that things are set up right now running the ball is about control it's about clock it's about short game and passing is kind of about taking shots right it's taking chances uh the, the old adage right the that's you know when whenever you pass the ball three things can happen and two of them aren't good well that i think that kind of changes in some ways if you were to institute something like this because 
something good could happen. You could still run the clock if uh, if you did pass the ball in this situation. And that probably is a step too far for me. Again, I don't think I hate it as much as other people. The one thing I'd say, for you to even consider this, you have to also have the two minutes and a half rule too, right? Because like, how can you seriously, you know, if, if a team's trying to come back and they're driving down the field and they throw an incomplete, like, how does that not stop the clock? You know, that, that that's just a silly thing that would fundamentally, fundamentally change everything i think and uh and so for me i just i can't get quite on board with this one but you know cre- credit to them for trying to think of things yeah so i guess so that's just an interesting way because i like passing so i don't want fewer passes in a college football game i want teams passing the ball but you're saying keeping it as it is actually would encourage running when you're trying to put a win away because you have to run effectively to keep to keep the clock moving as opposed to with the pass you're risking it. I do think and that and that idea, man, I just want I don't want less football. I want shorter games, but I don't want less football. And you you under you cut my legs out right at the beginning of the podcast. You're like, well, we're not going to talk about getting rid of commercial breaks. And it's like, why can't we talk about getting rid of commercial breaks? It's all the goofy stuff. It's all there's another thing we're going to talk to. This is the last actual proposal. It's the dead time that kills everybody. It's not the football. Nobody watches a football game and says, "Ugh, there was too much football in that football game." It's all the time in between. So. I guess encouraging teams to move faster, but it's not even the team's fault. It's all the silly stuff around the game that holds the stuff up. Ask, what's the thing that drives you craziest, right? In any football game, it's when there's a timeout after a touchdown, then you do the kickoff, and then there's another timeout. That should be illegal. We're scrapping the pod. Editor, Colin, (laughs) our great Colin, put this at the front. Let's make that. No more. That's not allowed. Isn't that the worst thing in football when that <laughs> happens? It's like, hit. Hey, here's eight minutes of actual time, and the only football thing that happened was a, a touchback on a kickoff? Start there. <laughs> well, and, and one thing that somebody actually pointed out to me on Twitter was, you know, one thing that the NFL does that I think really works is a lot of their replays are done during commercial breaks. So you're not kind of stacking those things. You're, you know, because with the way that colleges, they show an entire replay review. We see so much of the back of some random ref's head for 35 seconds and then they make a declaration and then we go to commercial. And so what ends up happening yeah, there? Why do we do that? Yeah, it's, well, it's because they think that we're so interested in seeing a review. We can show a review in five seconds after they've already made their decision. That's what they do a lot of the time in the NFL. And to be clear, I'm not trying to, like, I really don't think that it's the most important thing to make college like the NFL. I think that they're different sports. I want them to be different. I want them to have different sets of rules. But at the same time, I think that that is something that does not impact the quality of our viewing experience to to sit here and watch a ref look at a screen. It's just not good or interesting for anybody. That's actually one thing that the NBA, I think, has done better about is, you know, they have their off site replay center so it happens much 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 quicker than when you have to like bring out this little television thing for the ref on the field to look at it it doesn't make any sense that we have to sit there and watch it while we're at home watching a game okay no i think so that's a real thing that the nfl does its reviews replay reviews while going to commercial and college typically stays with the review that's a real thing 
I'd have to look into like whether it's part of their policy or if it's just something that happens more. But it definitely happens. I remember it again during the couple of games that I watched this year that it happened multiple times. Okay. No, that's good. Okay. So that's very important. No more, no more touchdown commercial kickoff commercial. We're getting rid of that. TV people, I don't care how much money you paid. We're getting rid of that. But I do think we should still stop stop the clock on incompletions. I think this is a bridge too far at the moment. And again, I I know people this is a thing that comes up. We don't want to but but it's you've got to start to do things that shorten the game without shortening the football. And so when you look at number of plays per game, again, these are stats that are out there. 2013, 143.6, 2022, 138.2. But yet the length of the game has increased. So it's fewer plays and we've gone up in length. What what do you think that is? What do you think it is? It's not the football. Quit blaming the football. It's not the football. We're not doing the fourth thing. We can't do this fourth thing, Shahan, right? We're definitely not doing this yet. Think about this for five or ten years down the road. No, no, we can't. And and the other part of it, too, was that uh, I believe that the number cited was that if they were to institute this, it could potentially take away 15 to 20 plays per game. Right. This That's a huge number of plays to potentially be cutting from a game. OK, that's terrible. All right. So here's so those are the real ideas. Here's here's now we're going to start throwing out our ideas, which are better than the real ideas anyway. How about this running clock for real running clock if you're up? By 28 or more at any point in the fourth quarter. Because the worst thing is boring blowouts. So that's would be a heck of a thing. It's like, oh, you know, Bama really is like putting it to LSU. And it's like, oh, you got a running clock. Because there are a lot of coaches who do keep their starters in a long time. It's like, oh, you want the backups to be able to play. But like, they still keep those guys in a lot. I guess we don't want to take time away from the backups. But I don't know. That's not the priority. What about, can we do that? Can we do running clock or some kind of thing where maybe the rules change? What if even you said once a game is 28 points or more, then the clock doesn't stop after an incompletion? You know what I mean? Can we adjust? Let's keep the best football. Who cares how long the game is if the game's awesome? But if the game's a blowout or is boring, then we can enact things to shorten those. What do we think of that idea? I don't hate that. I mean, it's it's essentially a level of mercy rule in college football, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing, especially when you have teams that truly, truly mercy rule other teams. And so, no, I mean, I, I don't have a huge issue with that. I think that, uh, you know, here, here's the thing, right? We kind of have to keep two things in mind. One, there is a consumer of college football who is buying a ticket and going to the game. And there's a consumer of college football who's sitting on the couch and watching games, plural, and I think that obviously the the reservation for some people is that when they go to the games, they're getting less for their experience. But I mean, if you're watching a game that somebody's up 28, you probably don't want to be there anyway, right? I mean, I remember the only game that I remember leaving early during my time at Baylor was when uh, Baylor played Buffalo, and which Khalil Mack was on the other side, which obviously was pretty cool. Also, Baylor was up 56 to 7 at halftime, and my friend got heat stroke. And it's just like, you know what, like maybe this isn't actually good for anybody to just keep playing this game <laughs> unencumbered for an entire other half. And so, no, I, I do think um, I do think that it's good. The question is, I know that apparently 
coaches can just have a conversation and decide to do a running clock. But I would be interested what the reception would be for the idea of a running clock for that kind of game too. So we're gonna do we're gonna do uh, running clock. What do we think? Uh, so here's the other big thing. I think this is huge. As you said, the worst part of watching a game is when a challenge, a replay challenge, takes forever. And I think they need to set a timer on a replay challenge and you have 90 seconds to figure it out. And if in 90 seconds you're not overturning it, then it stays. And it it, it becomes a world where only the most obvious errors become overturned. It's not about, oh, the 11th camera angle finally showed something different. It's you, we're going to do our best, but we're putting a limit on that rather than acting like, when you go to that camera and the ref sticks his head in a little flap that you must now seek perfection. Wouldn't that be easy? It's again, it's a context. We change the context of what we're looking for in replay. And we change the context to do the best we can in a certain amount of time, not get it perfect at all costs, even if it takes forever. No, I I think that's absolutely a good call. I think that, you know, people kind of hate the idea of replay review at this point. The reality is it was inevitable once we moved to television because the idea of somebody at home being able to see something being glaringly obviously wrong and not being able to fix it is a frustration in its own right. But that's, I think, what we should be looking for. Correct things that are glaringly obviously wrong. We don't need to be sitting here having this, you know, this frame by frame breakdown of, you know, when did somebody's arm hit? And, you know, it's like it, this stuff doesn't all need to be necessary. And th- honestly, the other part of it, too, is that there is a level of human error in sports and it's OK. We don't need to be 100 percent, a million percent perfect. Uh, and I think that sometimes that pursuit of this idea of perfection actually makes everything harder for everybody and makes refs worse at their job. So I agree. I think that putting a cap on it would be fine. I also wouldn't mind the idea of moving to uh, either a booth official or uh, an even offsite official, uh, potentially being the one who reviews the plays instead of, again, bringing... <laughs> How big are those screens? They must be like six inches. Like, are you telling me that that some guy who's, you know, wearing his hat is just going to like go under the flap and finally figure out the angle that none of the rest of us are seeing? Like, it could take five seconds. Like, whenever they show it on TV, it's within like five seconds. We know. and And so, like, if it takes us five seconds feels like it should take, you know, whatever. You can send Mike Prayer to 100 games a year and and he can just be like, oh, yeah, obviously that's what that is. Let's move on. What do we think in general of, of the way replay works in college football? Because the thing I'm always in favor of is that, you know, if if you just keep getting screwed on calls for whatever reason, there sh- you should just always be able to challenge as long as you're right, challenge forever, right? Like, <laughs> which would slow it down, but... I don't know. Do we think that replay is working right now in college football the way it is? Or are there tweaks to it that we, that you would suggest? Because now we're fixing the whole sport, right? <laughs> it's not just the time of games. We started on time of games. So we're, fixing, we're fixing the game day experience. What else can we do with replay? No, I mean, I, I just think that it is the time that it takes. I think that the actual process of replay is okay. Uh, I like the fact that they do feel like they have to have conclusive evidence in order to overturn a play and if they can't get conclusive evidence i'm fine with the idea of them just maybe being slightly wrong like 
I, I would rather them stick with what they thought and how they judged a play on the field than try to find the perfect camera angle after four minutes. You know, so that's the biggest thing that I'd say is that I just think that they need to tighten that up. I think that, again, look, the reality is any team that loses a game is going to at least to some extent blame the refs because it's much easier than blaming your team for losing, right? We saw this in the Super Bowl just a few weeks ago. Obviously, some people were very upset with the with the holding the defensive holding call and the guy who committed it literally said that he held them, but that doesn't appease the fan base, right? So like the, I, I think that we're pursuing this idea of refs being perfect when that's not actually what we want. We want our team to win the football game and and ultimately uh Again, we need to to make refs as small a part, relatively speaking, to the game as possible and let them do their jobs and get it over with as soon as possible. Okay, so now let's keep talking about refs. And this is something when we talk about the game day experience for college football, targeting is such a, a topic of conversation. What is your ideal targeting set of rules and the way that it is called and then implemented? What What should it be? So for me, I think that the most obvious thing to do about targeting, which I do think is a rule that should exist and carry a a relatively heavy penalty, but I think that there should be a targeting one and two. Like we have a flagrant one and a flagrant two in basketball because we have these moments where a ball handler ducks their head and they get hit head to head and maybe somebody launched at a wrong angle and then suddenly their game's just over. Right. Like that's the wildest thing to me. The idea that I just misjudged a fraction of a second by three inches and now I don't get to play football for a whole game. That That's still one of the most insane rules to me that there is. I mean, we have we have worse things happen in the sport that are called penalties that don't get players kicked out. But, you know, it's just the way that this rule is written. It is. I, I think that there is a difference between the sort of legitimate like launching your head into another person's head with relative uh, purpose versus some relatively incidental contact that fits within the letter of the law. And so I don't think that it should automatically end in a player being ejected. I still think that it's a good thing for uh, for targeting to exist. I think that it has changed the way that players tackle. I think it has in some ways uh, brought about safer tackling techniques. You know, we hear a lot more about the rugby style tackle, which is a better way to tackle. And so I, I do think that it's served some positive purpose, but I don't think that it should just immediately mean that your star safety doesn't get to play football for a whole game in a sport where you get to play 48 games total, maybe. Yeah, I do think, and I and I think I've talked about this here before. I had a long conversation about this with Bill Carollo, the Big Ten director of officiating at Big Ten Media Days last summer, and the idea of why there aren't two levels of targeting. And I definitely think there should be. And his main point was it's hard to legislate and officiate intent. And I just I just disagree with that. Yeah, we do that in every other sport. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And I think, I mean, what we're trying to take out of the sport, and to your point, I think we have. We're taking out those injury shots. We're doing those things where uh, a defensive player in the old days was just going to light somebody up. And so if you're lighting them up, you're kicked out. That's the threshold. If it's more within the normal course of play, it's a 15-yard penalty. And I don't, I just don't think that's difficult. And I think we have come a long way with targeting. And I think we have now reached the point where the safety is the number one thing. Safety is the number one thing. Safety is the number one thing. But I do think we've, we've achieved a lot in that pursuit. And now we're too punitive 
where there's no intent. And you still, I mean, a 15-yard penalty still hurts a team. But I also think sometimes, I don't know if you're most reluctant to call the targeting because it's so punitive. I think maybe you'll call more targeting if it's just a 15-yard penalty. I understand why it's been this way, but I think we've now crossed the threshold of it no longer should be this way. And there's, I think, too much frustration around it when it it's, was so necessary. Because you go back sometimes, Jahan, and you watch any of football at any level in the pre-targeting call era, and it's just like, how did we allow this to exist? It's like when you watch hockey. I was watching some hockey thing the other night. And everybody was skating around with no helmets on. And it's like, what? What? Like, what are we doing? Like, how is this a world? You know, nobody cared if you got hit in the noggin with a puck. And then we progressed. I think we have to get there. And it's hard, Shahan, because and here's the thing. Safety, health, and welfare is the number one thing by far, by far, by far. But in all these discussions around college football, whether it's NIL, whether it's the transfer portal, whatever it is, I just always want to remind people that competitive balance is a goal, is a priority. You're trying to keep the sport in a way that you create more great games. And when you are kicking out players for things where there isn't intent, just like when you let players transfer whatever they want to all the time, when you let players have an open market with NIL and open transfer all the time, you threaten competitive balance. And it's not like the rest of the world, because in the rest of the world, nobody cares if one hamburger place is a lot better than the other hamburger place. We're in a world, Jahan, where we want all the hamburger places to succeed. So I do think targeting the competitive balance aspect of it, you're taking players out of games in a way that affects games when that's not really the goal, when that is too harsh of a punishment. I think we've done so much with the safety that that competitive balance argument has to now come back into that discussion in a big way. Yeah, and again, the idea that a 15-yard penalty isn't a, a serious penalty, it's a very serious penalty. We've seen multiple games get flipped because of 15-yard penalties and automatic first downs and all this sort of stuff. I mean, that's a very serious penalty uh, that, you know, when you look at sort of the the big picture data, when, when a team is the recipient of a 15-yard penalty, they go on to score a, an absurd percentage of the time, right? So, like, it's a very serious penalty that's probably going to ruin a possession. It doesn't have to ruin a whole game. It doesn't have to ruin a whole game of a kid's career. Okay, last break. When we come back, more things to fix. I have one. This is my big thing. It's my big thing, which would be a fundamental change in a lot of ways, but in other ways wouldn't matter at all. We'll do it next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Shahan, what else do you have? What else do you have to fix or make Saturdays for college football in the fall better? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of the things that I have are things related to the to the television to, to game experience. I think that, you know, we give so much up to cater to television. And, and like I said off the top, that's not going to change. Television pays the bills. Television's a reason that, you know, people get to brag about how much money their university makes and how major their university and college football program is. But I do think that there are moments where, uh, where you kind of have these, you know, I think that one of the big things that I'd point to is I really would like to get away from just like absurd times for scheduling when it comes to, uh, to, for television, right? So like we have these Friday games now and, and come on, come on. 
Friday is for high school football. It, it's nothing sacred in this uh, in this sport anymore than the idea of on Friday the coaches get to go and watch high school football and talk to kids. Like, come on. I mean, the Big Ten obviously uh, made a big thing about bringing it in a couple years ago. We're starting to see it more now with the Pac-12. Uh, obviously, you know, we've seen with group of five leagues doing things on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Like, it, it's just... We don't need this to be an everyday sport. The fun of it is that we get to go on Saturdays and spend our whole day paying attention to and watching this. And, you know, maybe you throw in a Thursday uh, every so often as well. But I hate the Friday games. I hate the Wednesday and Tuesday games. Uh, and I hate the fact that you are basically throwing away the fans who want to go to those games uh, as a sacrifice to the television networks. I, I just think that, that, you know, we can go all day long with, with the ways that television networks are dictating what college football is now. That's really one of the most egregious to me. Do you think fans hate that, though? I do. Oh, 100%. Because the MAC obviously has been a conference that has leaned into this in a big way with with midweek games, and to the point where when they play those games, it's not a MAC game; it's Maction. It has its own little name. It's Maction, and that has given an identity to that conference in a way that playing only on Saturdays, I just think, never would have done. And so, for those fans that are going to be in the stadium, but again, sometimes there's not all that many fans in those stadiums. It's tougher to go to a game after work on a Tuesday or a Thursday than it is to go on a Saturday afternoon. But for so many other fans, I don't know. I think you can get into dangerous territory of, I guess, why would it be dangerous? If there was a, foot, if there was a college football game literally every night of the week and you made sure you sprinkled in the buys so teams weren't playing on too much of a compressed schedule, I mean, we're getting – I do think in our lifetime, Shahan, at least in yours – I think we'll get to a point potentially where in the fall there's an NFL game every day and that God, you can I just get to a point it. where hate it so much. you're pl- you know what I mean like if you're playing 17 games in a 20 week schedule and that means you can play from a Monday then you have that week off and you come back on a Thursday that you know you most of the games are on Sunday but I don't know it's so lucrative it is the number one thing it is the number one thing that works for TV right now Live sports rules the day and nothing rules it like football. I just think we're going to get to a seven day a week sport. Maybe it's not all NFL, but maybe it is much more regular and that, you know, the NFL takes Sunday, Monday, Tuesday and college takes Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And that's how we do it. And that's what our falls are. Don't you think we might get there? I definitely think we might get there. I mean, we've already seen with the NFL, there's Sunday, there's Monday, there's Thursday. And then obviously later in the year, we have Saturday. So it's not that big of a leap for the NFL to, to go on to Friday. I mean, I think that month, I think that Tuesday, Wednesday are probably going to be the lesser days for the NFL, but college is right there, right? College is right there to be the ones to do that thing instead. And I'll tell you what, I mean, obviously this is my profession, you know, watching college football. But it would be draining to me to have it all the time, right? Because like part of the excitement of college football is that you flip the calendar to September and you've been waiting so long and you get to do a day just to like express all of it, right? Like to just feel all of it, to see all of it. It's all happening at the same time. And I don't know. I I think that 
I agree. I do think that we will get to a point where we have football seven days a week. And I, I just don't think it's going to be the winner that people think it is because like we're already running into this with the Thursday games, right? People are, people are watching them, of course, but like people are like, geez, this sucks. Like this, this sucks. This is no fun for anybody. They're bad matchups. Like who actually wants to truly be watching this? And now people watch, right? That's the thing. So that's why the TV networks will keep doing it. That's why Amazon will keep doing it. But like it, it, it's not fun for me as a fan, uh, you know, and maybe maybe I'm just an exception. I also like other sports, too. Right. Like I love basketball. And so I watch basketball, too. I like that there are days of the week where I can just watch basketball. Uh, maybe that's not how it is for everybody else. You know, baseball is still going on in the fall. Uh, you know, hockey's starting up. Maybe there are people who just don't want to do anything except for football every single day. but. I don't know. I, I, I don't. I think there's a decent number of those. I think there's a decent number of those people. Also, also, I like my family, so you know, I'd like to be able to do. Ah, something your family's too. fine. Your family's <laughs> fine. You better have a. You better have a kid now before they do this, though. Get it, like, get it over with quick. Um, I do think I, we'll ask it. We'll ask this question on our Twitter account at CFB Survivor Show. Would you want a world where there's football seven days a week in the fall between college and the NFL? That not. By accident, not by chance, but that there's a cohesive plan, and that and then maybe it would evolve past even you know that the that it's only real you know that's smaller school college stuff, maybe like serious college football on a Wednesday, right? Would you want to get to that point? We'll ask people about that, but I do think I do think we're headed towards that kind of idea sooner than later. I'm not saying it's better, but. I'm saying I think we're going to get there. I just hope the replays are shorter when we do get there. <laughs> well, let me ask this. So uh, have you seen the new Ant-Man movie that came out? I have not because I didn't see the first Ant-Man movie. So I feel like I can't see the second Ant-Man movie until I see the first Ant-Man movie. This is the third. Well, I'm lost. Yeah. I'm, so I'm done. This is actually this is actually a perfect example. Uh, this is That's the exact right answer for what I'm about to say. So I never watched the first one. And I didn't watch the second one because I didn't watch the first one. So I'm not watching the third one. And also like the third one just seems to be a movie built around setting up the villain. So it's like a movie to just set up something that's going to happen later. And so like to me, I'm just like, so I have to watch all of this to understand any of this. And that's where I feel like college football is going, where it's like, Listen, man, if I want to take Tuesday off, am I just going to not know what's going on? Like that, That's a very dumb way for this sport to work. It's okay for us to have downtime. That's part of the draw of this is that, uh, you know, because, for example, baseball plays every single day. I, I'm not a huge baseball person. And part of that is that, like, I don't want to keep up with it every single day. I like the fact that we have our day that we do stuff and then we have the time in between where we're able to just kind of talk about it. And I mean, we can get into our CJ Stroud discourse and we can, you know, do all of these things, right? I think that talking season is actually very good. And I think is actually a very important part of the allure of college football. Now, again, you know, they're going to keep feeding us cake until we explode. But uh, but I don't necessarily think that it's actually going to make things better for fans. And I do think that eventually it won't be soon, but eventually we will reach a point where the same thing will try to get pushed down our throats to an extent that people lose interest. And in. actually, there was a uh, there was a, a newsletter that went out over the week. Uh, I think Ethan Sherwood Strauss, I think, was one who did it. And it was about how. Gen Z and Gen Alpha, the generation after Gen Z, 
are among the least sports fans of any generation in recorded history. That people who are younger do not like sports. And I think that this sort of thing plays a role in it. The fact that it's so constant and it's so insidery and the fact that it becomes so esoteric if you're not a diehard fan uh, mixed with, and this was another point that I made, mixed with the fact that it is so expensive to go to games right now. Like you cannot take your kids and your family to a game the way that even when I was a kid, we were able to go. Right. And, and I think that we're going to reach a point where the bubble does pop, where all of a sudden the masses don't do this the same way that people have done this for 50 years. And, and I think that it's going to hasten it if you basically have to follow a sport seven days a week to have any chance of keeping up. I do think it helps football that, it feels like an event. Yes. That that it's it's that that I think it's integral. integral. Enhances the experience. I did not know that the generation after Gen Z was called Gen Alpha. Why are they called Gen Alpha? Because we're out of letters, man. We're we're already out of letters. Yeah, they, they had a we meeting. Over? <laughs> they had a meeting. For real? We're back to the top? We're back to the top. What were what what else would we call them? Gen Double Z? I don't know. Like that's uh that's just what they're called. Does that mean that the, that's like uh well, I'm trying to think now. I, well, I'll i have to do this research off the show. So well, are my kids Gen Alpha or will they be like Gen Beta? How does this work? I, I don't yeah, really Gen know. Gen Beta. What are you? What are you? Are you a millennial? I'm a millennial. I'm I'm the very end of the millennial generation. No, I'm like as Generation X as you get. Like other than <laughs> Ethan Hawke, I'm like the second most Gen X guy you can that's, find. That's the prototypical Gen Xer is Ethan Hawke. Yeah, they're in that movie. They were, they were in that movie about uh, living in apartments in Seattle. And playing guitars and drinking coffee. What was that called? <laughs> reality Bites. Yeah, Reality Bites. I'm the Reality Bites guy of podcasts. That's what I am. We should. We almost called this Football Bites. <laughs> you wouldn't actually call it. I'm sure it would have been a great reference that people would have followed. <laughs> you say, I only hear what I want to. Wear like cat, those cat, cat eye glasses. I'm going to start oh, wearing man. those cat eye glasses. Oh, Everybody man. will love me. All right. One foot or two foot. We like the college has one foot or should it be two feet in bounds on a reception like the NFL? What are you talking about? I like that it's one foot. <laughs> I, I like that it's one foot. I think that uh, it makes more exciting. The players, like, we, we don't have to be mean about it. The players are less skilled. I think that if you can get control on a foot in bounds, that's plenty to me. But that it makes sense that for the millionaires, it's two feet. So we yes. like it the way it is. Yes. yes, yes. Okay. Pass interference, better in college, right? That it's yes. only 15 yards max. You can't throw a 70-yard bomb. Yes. Have it be underthrown. Have the DB go up, accidentally run into the receiver and get a free 70 yards. Look, maybe if I was a Joe Flacco fan, I would love that because he basically made his whole career of uh, just throwing the P.I. ball. But uh, but as somebody who did not root for Joe Flacco, yes, absolutely. 15 yards is plenty. The NFL has to change that. Yeah, it's crazy. Don't they? It's crazy. I'm if this was an NFL podcast and we were doing changes, that would be my number one change. Yeah. That all pass interference should be 15 yards. I, I can't imagine. I can't understand why it exists the way it exists right now. Again, 15 yards is a serious penalty, a very serious penalty. I feel like I feel like we've reached a point where, I mean, five yards is a serious penalty, honestly. Like when you have a 10-yard holding, a drive is over. Like a drive is just totally over whenever you, you get holding called. And like, this is 15. This is more than that and an auto first down. So no, it should not be a, a, a spot foul. That's crazy. Okay, so this is my last thing, and I did not research this, but it's something that I've thought for a long time. And the NBA has started, has moved in recent years toward this a little bit. I would sell 
every surface you could find <laughs> in and around a college football stadium, a college football player. I would have ads on everything. And I don't know how many years ago it was that the NBA went to this and everybody has their little ad up in like the top left shoulder or right shoulder of the NBA jersey that just says a little company there. It's fine. Nobody even notices it. There's that soccer team who in in uh, Europe whose whole logo is Fly Emirates. I think it's the Fly Emirates team yeah. to me. I don't All even know who the they are. the European teams basically. Uh, I think it's – uh, I think it's uh, Man City. I think it's Man City. Nobody knows, but uh, but, but nobody cares. Basically, all the European teams have the have the sponsor as their main thing, and they just have a little patch. So I have I have looked into this a little bit around the Big Ten. I mean, looked into it. I've wanted to do this story for a long time. <laughs> There's multiple, for instance, multiple stadiums in the Big Ten named Memorial Stadium. Yes, and if you said to the people in the stadium to the people in charge of the university, what are you memorializing with the name Memorial Stadium? Do you know? Do you know? Is it is it the people who sacrificed their lives in a particular war? Is it – I mean, it's usually that. I don't know. But there are so many generic names of stadiums, and I think like Rutgers may have run through – multiple names of companies and i think the instinct is like to make fun of that i'm making fun of everybody who hasn't sold their naming rights of their stadium so far so i would put logos on helmets i would put logos on jerseys i would put giant logos ohio state just put some logos on the on the field and some people were like oh there's a logo who cares i would sell logos in the end zone I would sell the naming rights year by year. It could be a new stadium name and nobody would have to use it. You can still call it Memorial Stadium if you want, where some company is just going to have paid. And then you use that to pay players directly. Use that to lower ticket prices. Because you know what, Shahan? It's just words. And if we've proven anything on this podcast, it's that words are meaningless. So make money off of them. Who cares? People are like, oh, we can't have Michigan Stadium called Ford Field. It's like, why not? <laughs> sell everything. Sell, 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 sell with two goals. Lower prices for fans. Get players money. And if you think like that's the last bastion of amateurism, oh, you can't have a logo on my dear. Get cash, baby. Tomorrow, yesterday, do this yesterday. So here's the issue. Here's the issue is that they would do this and explicitly not do it for the two reasons that you just said. They would explicitly say, we don't plan to do either of these things because those are the two things that they want to not do most is uh, make it more affordable to go to football games and pay players. But yeah, three memorial stadiums in the Big Ten, that feels like a lot. I like, I personally like uh, ones that are named after like something important. You know, Iowa State Stadium is named after a player, Jack Trice, who was the first black player to ever play in the Big Eight. And he was actually like killed during a game, which, you know, cool, you know, America racism stuff. Anyway, uh, but I like the idea of uh, of it being named for someone or something cool, like Bill Snyder Family Stadium at Kansas State. I think that's awesome. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. That's, that's how, how it should be. be for that's real? how it should be. That's how it should be. Uh, to me, Illinois and Indiana both being named Memorial Stadium is an indicator of how they have nobody worth naming their stadium after. 
in the they have a big statue of Red Grange out front in Illinois. Just call it Red Grange Stadium. That's man. fair. That's fair. Okay, Red Grange Stadium, Indiana. I, I'm not letting you off the hook. Tevin Coleman Stadium <laughs> in Indiana. How, how is Nebraska not uh, Nate Sudfeld Stadium? Uh, how is Nebraska the Antoine not- Randall L Stadium? Actually, Antoine Randall L was awesome. He was really good. How is it not Osborne Stadium though? How how is it not? It's no, the, I know. But let me crazy. ask you this: You say, yeah. but what about? Let me think. Let me just throw this at you. But what about money? <laughs> Um, I, as long as I'm not cashing the check, I don't care. I, I don't care whether now at the same time, I don't care if they put sponsorships on their jerseys. I don't care if they put sponsorships on the field. I'm just saying if I ran a, a university or a football program, I think it is cooler for it to be named after them. Now, you know, again, Baylor, where I went, Named after a donor and like very nice man, very nice donor. Drake she McClain. got money. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cool. Cool. Yeah, that's what we should name stadiums after. Hey, do you know this guy had money? That's what I'm looking for. Like, come on. No, no that's I, not, that's exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking for money. I'm looking <laughs> for money. I don't if you give the money, name it whatever you want. I don't care. Are you going to be uh, collecting checks from them? Are you getting paid for it? Did, would you get paid more if if you walked into uh if you walked into uh, what's the what's what's the Quicken Loans Stadium in in Columbus, Ohio, is that what you'd? Uh, I would get would paid you get, more, but I'm but is that what you want? Uh, but would it take five bucks? I, I mean, I know I know what you're saying because the main thing about college athletics is is they spend every dollar they get the minute it comes in. Yes, the minute they find a new way to make money, they find a new way to spend money. Yes, it, it would just mean that Ryan Day would make eighteen million dollars, and that the players would still make zero dollars, and the the tickets would still be too expensive. Because you started off, you said that the whole thing with Gen Alpha, one of the main things is that it's not affordable for family. Is that just a lost cause? There's nothing we can do for people to try to make money in other ways and lower ticket prices for the average fan? Are we giving up? Well, uh, you know, maybe I can put in a call to to you know the White House and say, "Hey, Joe, you, oh. do you want to make tickets non-transferable?" I think that's one of the biggest ways that they could impact uh, the ticket market because right now they're resold for uh, for profit so often, even by t- season ticket holders. If you make them non-transferable and you say, "Hey, I can't make it to the game," and just give it back to the venue and receive back a refund and they're resold again at face value. I think that there are things that you could do to do it. But instead, we're like, well, first of all, we're going to have black market ticket resellers. And also, by the way, uh, everything's going to go through Ticketmaster. So you're going to have to pay 30% on everything. And uh, we, we do things the stupidest way possible so that people who are middlemen can make as much money as they want and as much money as possible so yeah i think that the ticket market's broken and basically you have to be rich at this point to be able to go to many sporting events wasn't that a thing in the state of the union though where the president was talking about like fees and stuff or it like was. i don't know wasn't it like a thing it was like a fees <laughs> thing let's go tickets then let's go yeah. let's go sports tickets reselling yeah where you're gouging the people who actually want to be there yes and making middlemen rich okay listen the ncaa wants congress wants the federal government to save them on everything else let's have that let's have them get involved with this let's make this this cause of this podcast federal government intervention in price gouging with sports tickets listen i i've often said that we are a a podcast built around the idea of the the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. You know, that's that was really what inspired the start of this podcast. And you know what? I, th- I think that this is a bipartisan issue. I think everybody can get behind it. But seriously, the thing that brought this to attention 
was Taylor Swift tickets going on sale and people freaked out and they sold out immediately. People waited for like six hours and didn't get tickets. Somehow every person says, oh, can you believe that all the fake Taylor Swift fans got tickets and not the real ones, which actually just means them. But uh, yeah, you know, so, so that's brought it to our attention. So now we just have to get the Taylor Swift army with the Beyonce army with Ohio State fans and get them on the internet tweeting at people. And, uh, and I think that'll fix everything. No, I do think, because if we want to go, I mean, if we want to compare things to olden times and find problems, let's find how much a ticket was to <laughs> Woody Hayes' final Ohio State Michigan game in 1978 and how much it cost to get in this year. And by the way, uh, while we're on that, as we're turning back things to the past, let's also increase access. Let's, let's increase reporter access. I remember seeing somebody had like a list uh, of phone numbers that like was distributed to the media in like 1975 at Texas A&M with every personal line to get to, uh, to reach a player directly. Like, let's get back to that, man. That sounds great. That sounds so easy for me. Though that would be great. Okay, so see now we have a mission. We have an off-season mission <laughs> for this podcast, and at the top of the list is getting Shahan more phone numbers. So <laughs> of teenagers, of teenagers, of teenagers, and then making them come on the show and grilling them with questions about whether there should be ads on their football jerseys and what they think of Taylor Swift. Okay, we're trying to change the world one podcast at a time. We will be back with another free show this week. That has more to do directly with football. I think we're going to do Big Ten 2024. The 16 teams that will be part of the Big Ten in 2024. We'll do the same rankings of those programs that we did about the SEC last week. What our expectations are. Where USC and UCLA will fit in to the current hierarchy of the Big Ten. And that means we're going to push back our playoff defensive draft a little bit. We expect to have some combine content in the coming weeks. I will be at the NFL Combine. And we'll do some stuff based off what the college players who just graduated and just left school are talking about. But for now, make sure you are reading CBSSports.com, where you can catch Shahan J. Haraja when he's not talking. He said he barely talked at all today. So he was so excited to come on and talk on this podcast. But he's always writing. Go find him at CBS Sports. And make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss an episode of this show, which, as you guys now know, is free twice a week. For now, for Shahan, I'm Doug, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.